Uh, Will is um, at a conference, a uh, training conference, uh, this, uh, this Sunday morning, but he seems to have left me a present. Um, that might be a little more helpful. Uh, if I sit, set it there, I'll actually be able to see you. Um, Do keep that reading in front of you, if you would. Uh, Philippians 3, page 1180. And can we pray together? Lord God, we're uh, about to come before your word, and we ask that you would, by your spirit, refine us through your word. Teach us, warn us, guide us. But we've had occasion to think already of Joe Dade without heating, of Will off training, uh, of those who've heroically taken pathfinders. The life of the community formed by your word is hugely important to us and we pray that we may understand more and more how your word shapes us as a people, not just we ourselves. Amen. Well, the question that uh, I want to bring is really the question, what is it that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, can promise to those who do not yet follow him? And I do that for... Uh, a particular reason. Um, We had a prayer evening, as you will know, on Friday evening, just gone, and we prayed for the uh, Cypher group, our group of 14s to 18s. And we did so, amongst other things, based on the prayers that they had written, requests for prayer that they had written. And a request that I picked out from the hat, as it were, was this one. Uh, pray that I find ways of talking about Jesus with my friends so that they do not dismiss him. Now, I was very struck by that prayer uh, in different ways, but the one that's relevant here is that I think that's a request that actually lots of us could probably uh, pray. It's not just a teenager's prayer. How do we speak of Jesus with our friends in such a way that they will not dismiss him? Uh, I I suspect that our fear of speaking of Jesus is a fear that, that others will dismiss him or that others will come back to us with questions that we cannot answer. Uh, It's probably as good a place as any to do a plug for the Alive course, which is coming up uh, starting on the 21st of January. There's always a problem with courses in the term between Christmas and Easter. Because Easter is coming, you've got to start them fairly early. But you know full well that no one wakes up until after Christmas to say, oh, oh yes, that, that's happening and maybe there's something for me to do about it. So I do, there isn't a great deal of time before it starts, 
And I do urge you to invite your friends. Um, I've got the same problem. I'm only just waking up uh, after Christmas, and I know that I'll need to produce some flyers and some forms of invitation. Those will be around in the next couple of weeks. But do now be thinking and praying, who would you want to invite to a course? I'm running it, and it's really going to be asking from the Gospels the question, what did Jesus think he was doing? What did Jesus think he was doing? Uh, 7.30, starting on the 21st of January. Don't know the location yet. I'll make my mind up about that, depending on who we hear uh, may be coming. And if people are interested, either you yourselves, um, uh, if the things of Christ are are still new for you, um, then uh, just contact our office on the address that's on the blue sheet this week, and uh, on the news sheet, and uh, we'll pick that up with you during the week. What is it we can promise? I suspect, again, that one of our challenges is that we feel a gap between the Christian lives we know about that we live and what we would like to be able to promise to others. So are we, for example, just promising pie in the sky when you die? That was the great Marxist accusation, that the suffering masses were kept happy by a promise that it would all be all right one day. Uh, We've been away and we were with friends, they have children, and those children at one point were watching uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, Is what we are promising in the gospel really no more than a golden ticket, if you know that story? That you actually get something, a real thing, but but it's only kind of later that you get the benefit of it. Or is there something we can promise that's now? Are we, as Christians, doomed to a terrible grimness? Some of you are of an age to remember Mona Lott, who said, it's only being cheerful as keeps me going. Is that the distinctive Christian posture? And is that, therefore, the reason, because we fear that's true, that we don't commend Jesus to others? And the question I I want to push it tighter in this way. Would you yourself want to become a Christian, if you weren't, on the basis of St. Paul's letter to the Philippians? St. Paul is in chains, chained to a Roman soldier, expecting to die. He knows that the church to which he is writing is undergoing persecution And he is writing, after all, about a man who was crucified on a cross. Would you want to become a Christian on the basis of that kind of offering? I suspect we fear to speak out because we fear that our goods, what we have to offer, are feeble compared to what the world has to offer whether that's kind of trash world uh, and the world of TV and advertising and materialism or thinking world, serious, uh, good, but without Christ. So my task this morning is to persuade you from St. Paul here that Philippians has good news in it, good news that is so good it's worth conveying to others. Two points. First... An eternal perspective really is needed. 
you want to put it this way, it's not pie in the sky when you die, but the sky does matter. Why? Well, I don't know how many of you were here last week. I wasn't. Um, uh, But look at verse 10 uh, of chapter 3. I guess that surfaced last week. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead, is Paul's claim. He wants now to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That immediately takes us to the eternal perspective. And so, verse 11, somehow to attain myself, that he means, Paul, to the resurrection from the dead. Or this week, look at verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven. Philippi is a Roman colony. It was inhabited, if you came from Philippi, you were as much a Roman citizen as if you had been born in Rome itself. That's how strong the colonial power was of Philippi. And Paul knows it, and Paul is, is playing with that to say, our citizenship may be of Rome, but it is certainly in heaven. And sticking with the Roman theme in verse 20... The only other person who was called a saviour in those days was the Roman emperor. And we eagerly await a saviour, not from Rome, but from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. The eternal perspective matters. Now, I want to imagine that I'm talking now to someone who is not a follower of Jesus. There's probably one or two in the room. But I invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, to to kind of... uh, Uh, follow the process, because this will be true for some that you know. If you are not a follower of Jesus, it may be that you're comfortable, that you say to yourself, well, I'm not in prison, I'm not persecuted, I don't have these terrible things going on, I'm not like one of these sad Christians, I don't really need eternity. Well, maybe you are quite happy to be told here, as in verse 19, that the destiny for such is destruction. That you will, like Monty Python's parrot, simply cease to be. Well, maybe that's okay for you. But I want to suggest to you, if that's true, that actually you're being selfish. On the moral grounds that you should wish for yourself only what you're prepared to wish for others. Are you prepared to live yourself knowing there's no eternity for you, but not having anything of eternal significance to say to those who lost children in Peshawar, in Pakistan, around Christmas time, that there is nothing to say with eternal perspective to those who've lost friends and family in Paris this week that basically you're happy to say, you're all right, Jack. And then I want to challenge you and say, yes, but imagine that someone close and dear to you is the victim of a hit-and-run accident tomorrow, and, and it's a run. They, the, the driver goes away. No, one, no record is kept, no one knows who did it, but, but someone dear to you is dead. You're happy that your destiny is to cease to be, and for there to be no accounting for what will just have happened in your family. That's what I mean when I suggest it's being selfish. You are content to live knowing that there is no final 
accounting for the evil that is around us, the major evil in Pakistan, in Paris, but also the thousand little evils of life. All right. Well, in that case, certainly, if you are happy in that way, please do not follow Jesus, because that's not the way he will want you to live. Particularly from this passage, please do not say that you will follow Jesus and then carry on as though eternity doesn't matter. Look at verses 18 and 19. As I've often told you before and now say again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He's talking about those who claim to be believers. That's why he's got tears in his eyes. It's not the tears of... uh, weeping over the world, but weeping over those who claim to follow Jesus, but for whom their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and fundamentally because their mind is on earthly things. They have their reward. Do not follow Jesus if you wish to retain your mind only on earthly things. Eternity, my first point, eternity does matter. For Christians, even comfortable Christians, we know a solidarity with all those who suffer, such that we believe for ourselves in verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus, and we place our confidence in the reality of verse 21 the fact of a judgment that will set everything to rights so that whether you've been in Peshawar or in Paris or something horrible has happened to you, there will be a settling of the accounts, finally. It's not pie in the sky when you die to have an eternal perspective. Rather, it is an appalled refusal on behalf of the followers of Jesus to believe that this world of suffering will have no accounting. Secondly, what is there then that's for now? What can we promise? Eternity, we've seen that, but then now. Well, if it were only eternity, then maybe moan a lot would be right. It's only being cheerful as keeps me going. There would seem to be a terrible kind of grimness in that cheer. But Paul suggests otherwise, and he points to a pattern. Like I said earlier, once you get shown a pattern, it's much more powerful than just seeing a set of instructions. He's pointed back in chapter 2 to Jesus, who suffers obediently out of a love for us that we can imitate. That's how he leads into that great hymn in chapter 2. If you have any encouragement, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's the pattern that he sees in Jesus. And then he sees it in himself, Paul, who's willing, uh, in chapter 3, to suffer the loss of everything for the sake of knowing that Jesus... Now, this moment, this Sunday morning, turns out, according to the pattern that Paul is describing, to be lived in the light of the first point, 
eternity. When humanity is no longer afraid of death, it becomes possible to live, truly to live, with passion and risk and hope and love. So now is a viewpoint. Uh, Look at verse 15, please. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And the word for take a view is the same phrase and word as you get uh, in chapter 2 and verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. There's a viewpoint, a head thing to get in our heads. Now is a viewpoint in which life has a cross shape to it. There's love of others because they are of eternal worth and there is worship with joy of God. Look at verse 20 here. We eagerly await. We want to be where Jesus is. Love of others because they're of eternal worth and worship with joy of God because of course he is eternally worthy. Why? Because death is ended in Christ and judgment is pronounced on all evil. And if you know that eternity awaits you, of course you start living it now. So often, we approach those around us as though somehow they were neutral. They didn't have any strong beliefs, but we've got this enormous challenge to kind of drag them up the hill of belief. We forget that our world, by definition, is not neutral. By definition, the world, those who do not follow Jesus Christ, are uh, looking towards a final end where death is the end. And that affects their now. It is not that they don't have a belief and we are trying to drag them to belief. And if it's you, it's not that you don't have a belief and I'm trying to drag you there. It is that you already have some kind of belief. I'm simply saying it's wrong. I'm simply saying that the Christian claim is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day after his burial and if that is true, nothing now can ever be the same. So this is not, you are neutral, now please consider Christ, but rather, you're okay about your end being destruction, and you know it. Do you want to live in a world where death is the end and evil gets no response? Now please consider Christ, because I'm assuming, because you're my friend, that you are not content to live in a world where there is no final answer to the terrible things we've seen. And I want to press this home for those of you who are older. Actually, most people who are Christians become Christians when they're younger. But I do want to press this home for those who are older and invite you again to, amongst your older friends to press this home. Let us speak of death and eternity. Not just our death, but the death of those who were killed on the streets of Paris. Some of us, if normality is followed, are closer to death than others. And the hope of eternity for us, who are older, should be so much the more powerful in changing what we do now, so that even now we live with hope and love 
and passion and risk. Because death, finally, terrible as it is, will not matter in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we pray together? Lord God, we do pray for all those who are afraid of death but have no answer to it. For those who are comfortable in the face of death but do not see what a terrible thing it is if it truly is the end. And we ask that you would fire us by a renewed passion to let the one answer to death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, be lived out in our world by his faith. Amen.